All right. We're good? Everybody can hear? Cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm excited to preach our final sermon in our series in the book of James. We've been in this series for quite a number of weeks. The series is titled Authentic Faith. I encourage you, if you have not uh, been here before, you missed a couple weeks, go to our website, hear the previous sermons. Um, Last week, James Kim preached an incredible message, uh, a message I wish could be preached in every church in the city. I'm actually trying to get him to preach at certain churches, but he doesn't know that yet. And so um, just, it was just such a good word. We're going to continue where we left off, James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20. These are the final verses of this incredible letter. And I want you to hear them in the context of James giving us a framework of how to apply and live out our faith Considering everything that he's taught thus far, these final verses give us a frame for us to live out our faith with practical, easy to wrap our hearts around concepts and realities. Let's read. It says, James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come before your word with expectant, humble hearts. Speak to us. Lord, you have our attention. Would you speak to us and change us? Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus, we pray. Fill this place with such a strong sense of your presence and power. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I find it interesting that as James is closing this letter, that it ends in this way in light of the fact of how the letter actually began. The letter begins, if you remember, people that have suffered quite a bit, Because of persecution, their faith in Jesus has caused the state to to target them and blame them for all sorts of things that are going on. They become the scapegoat. Everything that's going wrong in society, these followers of Jesus are being blamed for it. They're saying because they worship another god, this is what's causing all the peril that we see upon them. Persecution now has come upon them. They've suffered a great deal. They've been uprooted. They've lost homes. They're fleeing for their lives. And James begins and says, 
consider it all joy when you go through various trials and temptations and suffering. But here, as, it, as this letter is closing, James says something very simple but kind of touches on that. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And what in, in those two extremes, he's saying if anyone is in trouble, and in the original language that word trouble, it connotes suffering, it connotes loss. It's not just kind of like you're having a bad day. It's no, you're going through a tough time. James says if you're going through a difficult, heart-wrenching season, pray. But if you're happy, sing songs of praise. It's amazing that at the end of this very challenging and convicting letter, God invites us to come to him in the fullness of our experience as people. God is not just interested in you presenting a strong, happy, victorious front to him. God didn't just say, if any one of you is victorious and conquering all life's challenges and you're a to-do list master and you got everything under control, you come to me. But everyone else that's slacking and you're, and you're sleeping on the job and you're not doing and you're struggling, figure it out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no matter what season of the soul you're in, God invites us to come to him. And what's amazing is that as much as he invites us to come to him in strength, and, and he says, if you're happy, come and sing songs of praise, he also says, if you're in trouble, if you're suffering, pray. What I love about that is that God provides a way for us to come to him, never denying the brokenness inside of us, but also never limiting his power to be at work and change circumstances in our life. See, it's an invitation to fully come to God as we are. And in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, what he has made possible, he's made it possible for us to come to him as we are. God makes room for your full self to come to him. In this invitation, he makes room if you're suffering, he says, Jesus is waiting for you to come to him. If you're joyous, Jesus is waiting for you to come to him. And I think this picture of either suffering or joy and the invitation going out to both, whether you're suffering or you're, or you're in joy, God extends an invitation to both saying, come to him. I think what that paints is a powerful picture of discipleship, of what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, to study his life and to follow him means that no matter what road of life you're on, you do your best to work your way to him. That if right now you're in a suffering road, your road is marked by suffering and challenge and depression and discouragement and sadness, Jesus says, come to me. You need to pray. But if you're, the road you're on is one of victory and promotion and new businesses and joy and, and babies being born and marriage, it says, come to me. In other words, one of the things that is core to being a disciple of Jesus is learning to not disconnect or divorce any situation in our souls from the living God. 
The moment you and I allow our emotional space to divert us away from God, the moment our suffering leads us away from God, or the moment our joy leads us away from God. That's a tricky one. Because it's not that difficult to understand why someone would, would go away from God in suffering. But joy often can lead us far away from God as well. Either joy or suffering has the potential to cause us to stop in our tracks, to stop following God, to go our separate way. And yet here, James, in light of everything that he said in this letter, he's saying, no matter what space you are in your soul, God invites you to come to him fully, just as you are. As I was reflecting on this, I realized that I have a little PTSD with something that happens in church quite often. Where someone will ask someone, maybe you've seen this, maybe it's happened to you. Maybe you've seen it at work. Someone will say, how are you, brother? And the response is, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above, not beneath. Now, is that true? Yes. That is true. That th- those are scriptures. That's how God describes us. The problem I have is that most of the time those statements happen at the exclusion of the other reality. You know you can be blessed and struggle at the same time. I don't know about you, but in my faucet, I have hot and cold water. Both are possible. And, and, and if for a follower of Jesus, both can be possible. But I think we, sh- we shame, we pressure, we almost put this light of like, if you're not always upbeat, victorious, then you, your faith must not be strong enough or, or you must not be praying enough. There's people in the world that pray more than us, that have stronger faith than us and go through more suffering than you and I could ever imagine. The very people that James was writing to, you cannot have more faith, one could argue, than to hold on to Jesus when you're losing your home, your life, and you're on the run. Your life is at risk because of your faith in him. And yet to these folks, he's saying, if you're suffering, pray. Don't deny it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't put on a strong face for God. Imagine the craziness that we allow our minds to get into, that we think the living God who knows us fully, that's the one that we have to put a facade on for. He knows behind the fake smiles and the the white knuckling of it, he knows where we're really at. But at the same token, I think I also have some PTSD with a form of, of Christianity that makes no room for the miraculous. That makes no room for an equally true confession that says, yes, I'm broken, I'm struggling, life is hard right now, but I'm believing for God to change that. I'm trusting in him. The God of the empty tomb is the one I'm praying to and standing on his word. We need both. And James invites us to live in both spaces. And so today, 
I ask exactly what James asked. Are you in trouble? Right now, where you're at, are you going through some suffering? Is your soul feeling like it's in a blender? Are your days a bit cloudier than you would like? If that's the case, James says that we should pray. It's, it, I mean, could you come up with a simpler equation? Are you in trouble? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just ask that. Are you in trouble? And now look, they have been moved and changed by your compassion, by your empathy. They're like, wow, you care. That's amazing. Thank you for asking. And then your response, according to James, should be, if you're in trouble, pray. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, pray. Now the introverts in the room get super annoyed when I do that. And I feel your pain. I'm an introvert, so I'm totally misusing my power up here. This may seem like such a super obvious Christian thing to say. Are you in trouble? Pray. But if we're honest, that is not always our response. Because often when we go through suffering, rather than go to God, we go to numb our feelings, our souls. Rather than go to pray, we go into distraction. Or if we don't try to deny what we're going through by numbing ourselves and distracting rather than going to pray, sometimes when we're in trouble, our response is to fight. And that's a good response, but it's not a complete response because sometimes in us standing our ground, inwardly we think we're the ones that are going to change this situation around. That if, if we just muster up some type of tenacity, some otherworldly resolve, that's what we're supposed to do when we're suffering, when we're going through difficulty. But it's actually not what God invites us to do. He invites us to not deny what we're going through, and he definitely doesn't invite us to fight this thing on our own and figure it out. He invites us to pray. Right now, think of all the troubles, the suffering that you're going through. And some of us, we could fill a long document with some of the things we're going through. It's troubles at work, troubles at home, troubles with kids, troubles with in-laws, troubles with parents, troubles with extended family, troubles with finances, troubles with health, troubles with, uh, with things that are happening politically, troubles with things that are happening on a global scale, troubles, troubles, troubles. You could fill everything. You could just keep, keep, keep going on. And if we're not dishonest about it, if we're not denying it, and if we're not choosing to try to fight this on our own, what would it look like to actually pray into our troubles? See, what happens when we pray, prayer is simply you and I recognizing that God's inviting us to be with him. Prayer is not some set of words, some 
pre-written language that you have to memorize and kind of become robotic about it. Prayer is simply recognizing that God's inviting you to be with him, and you respond and say, I'll be with you. How many have ever gotten one of those online invitations or sent one out, and you got the word tentatively? You ever seen that as a response? It's like, yes, no, tentatively. That tentatively is from the devil. I just, that, that one right there. Just, there's something wrong with that. Just yes or no? The tentatively, like maybe. We'll see. I'll get back to you. I often think God is on the other side of his invitation saying, you're in trouble. You're going through suffering. I'm inviting you to just come to me. Be with me. I don't want you to suffer by yourself. I actually want to suffer with you. I want to journey with you. The the word, the name of God that we celebrate during Christmas season is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wants to be with us. And prayer is an acknowledgement of his presence. The theologian John Calvin once said, there's no time in which God does not invite us to himself. In suffering, God's inviting you to himself. And sometimes suffering could be a gift because suffering alerts us to us straying from that invitation. See, and what happens when we pray, when troubles usher us to a place of prayer, Two things happen. In prayer, we acknowledge God's power and his ability to meet our needs in the face of that trouble. So in prayer, we acknowledge God is bigger than this problem. He's able to solve it. He's able to change it. But also in prayer, we acknowledge that if he doesn't change it, he's able to change me. He either answers by breaking through, or he answers by sustaining us. But answer he will. But in prayer, we come to God with an openness saying, God, either change my circumstances or change my heart. But I won't suffer alone when you invite me to pray. You can deal with your marriage on your own, but why not deal with it with God? You could deal with your singleness on your own, but why not deal with that season with God? You could deal with your work situations on your own, but there's an invitation from God that says, if you're in trouble, if you're suffering, pray. Let me walk with you through that. That's the one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is, are you happy? Is anyone happy? That's what James says. What's his response to anyone who's happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, praise is different than prayer. In that in prayer, we're often seeking God to change something. To change our circumstance, to change us. But in praise, we're not coming to God to change something. We're coming to God acknowledging who he is and what he has done. So in one way of looking at it, in prayer, oftentimes we're telling God about our problems. 
But in praise, we're telling our problems about our God. In praise, we're declaring who God is, what he can do, what he has done, and we're reminding ourselves of his unchanging character. We're celebrating his power, his majesty, and we're declaring that that's who he is, and we're living in light of that. One of the evidences, biblically, that people are walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit is that they walk in an attitude of gratitude. That they are grateful. That they learn to discern where God's hand is at work despite the difficulty that they may face. And James says, if you and I are happy, in other words, if we're joyous, if, if, if life is tasting sweet at the moment, if, if we're feeling encouraged and hopeful, he's saying, learn to praise in those moments. Learn to pause and celebrate and give thanks and rejoice. And why that's an important thing, because often when things go good, suddenly we can begin to believe that we had a lot to do with that. How many have ever tried to clean the house with little kids helping? Oh, it's an exercise in futility. When they're young, when they're small, and they want to help, and so you don't want to discourage that. You're like, I've got a lifetime with you. I need you to be a ready soldier. You know, I need you to, like, this house doesn't clean itself, and so I'm, I don't want to stamp out that motivation. It's like, oh, you want to help? Let's clean. Yeah, yeah, here's the broom. And the broom's falling all over the place, and, and, and they're, they're sweeping up, and it's just absolutely doing nothing. It's creating more mess. And, and what happens in that situation? The adult is having to clean up around the cleanup attempt of the child, trying to compensate for the fact that they're not getting it done. In many ways, God allows us to be a part of his amazing work in this life, and if we're honest, we make more messes than we realize. Even as we're trying to help, but the goodness of God is that he comes around us and he does more than we can and he compensates for our weakness and our ability to see, our inability to see beyond what we can see. And so that's why it's, it's really crazy and funny that at times we can easily take the credit for something that God alone deserves the credit for. And so when you and I praise, when we're happy, when we're joyous, it's kind of like an official stamp that we're putting on that moment and saying, I won't let my heart think that I did that. I won't let myself think that I accomplished that on my own, that that happened because of my wit, my ingenuity, my tenacity. Nope, God did that. And I praise you. I acknowledge that you did that, you alone. And so no matter what we're going through, we have this incredible invitation by God to come to him fully, just as we are. But James doesn't just stop there. Verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. James is saying that there's another aspect to our life together as the people of God. And that is that our life 
together with Jesus is one where He is progressively restoring us, making us whole, bringing His life to bear on our life. And in many ways, the best way to understand what is happening here in James is to understand the bigger picture of God's work, what He began in Jesus and what He's doing even now. You realize when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the life of Jesus, what we were getting a glimpse of in his life, we were seeing what life was intended to be like apart from sin. If sin never destroyed creation and wreaked havoc on it the way it did, we, would, we begin to see what that could look like in the life of Jesus. What it looks like is the broken are healed, the outcast are welcomed into family, the forgotten are remembered, those who carry shame are freed from it, and we get a picture of what life will be like in the kingdom of God where there is no pain, no suffering, no shame, no isolation. We see that happening in the life of Jesus, in all these healings, all these miracles, and then Jesus, before he leaves, he promises his disciples that the Holy Spirit would be given to them. And through the Holy Spirit, this work of restoration would continue. And through the church, through the disciples of Jesus, we are now entrusted to continue this restorative work where those that are broken in body can be made whole. But it doesn't just stop there. James also says... If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And so James is saying that one of the realities of the people of God should be that there should be a restoration of soul and body to the people of God. That we are called to usher in the kingdom of God into this world and see lives transformed in its fullness. Not just bodies restored, but souls restored. Not just souls restored, but bodies healed. But it's important to know that the reality that we're living in now is one where the kingdom of God has come, but it's not fully here. That the fullness of what Jesus gave us a taste of will only fully be realized in heaven, in glory. But now, while we are here, it's our joy, it's our opportunity to partner with Jesus and to demonstrate to the world the reality of his power and love. Where you and I are called to pray and to believe for healing, to believe for Jesus to do what only Jesus could do, to pray in faith, to trust in our miracle-working God, to create a space and a community where people can not only receive physical healing, but also, as James says, if they're needing healing in their soul, if there's sin in Jesus, that sickness can be healed. And here's one thing that's important to keep in mind. I know many, many churches, I know many pastors that one of the reasons they don't pray for the sick is because there are times that people don't get healed. And that is really difficult. 
and painful. I've prayed for people that have not been healed, and it's gut-wrenching. It's so gut-wrenching that it can easily like, close your heart up and you say, I'll never put myself out there again. But the reality is that that's not anything new. Did you know that Paul suffered through sickness, even while he prayed for people to be healed? You know that uh, throughout church history, there were people that God used mightily that still suffered. Suffering doesn't negate the reality of God's healing power. It all is encompassed. It's all there. And here's one of the reasons why, despite that difficulty, as a church, we continue to lean in to these realities because we are striving to be biblical and we're trusting the results to God. We pray for the sick because the scriptures tell us to pray for the sick, not because it's popular, not because it's easy, not because we can control the results. None of the above are true. But God tells us to do so, and we do so faithfully. But I will tell you that 100% of prayers that are not prayed in faith won't be answered. That us being reticent to step out and to put ourselves there, we can keep ourselves emotionally safe, but we will never put ourselves in a position to see God do what only God could do. I've seen God heal people in our church miraculously. We've seen Dr. Bonafide miracles in our church. And most of those prayers were not from us as pastors. Most of those prayers were offered by our prayer team, the members of our church that were just practicing the way of Jesus. For those of you that are new to our community, I think it's important like even as we're resting in these verses, to kind of name what our culture is like as a church and those that have been part of our community and you know, we're all kind of returning back to be reminded that we want to be a community that is naturally supernatural. We're not into hype. We're not into manipulation. We're not trying to do, you know, rouse people up. We want to be naturally supernatural. We want to pray with ease, without any fanfare. We're not trying to elevate people uh, or, or like it's not a pastor show or, or a spiritual leader show. It's the people of God. One of my favorite phrases from the Vineyard Movement is that everyone gets to play. This idea of the priesthood of all believers, Jesus calls all of us, anoints all of us, and you and I get to participate in this incredible kingdom expression of the reality of Jesus breaking through in our broken world. We just want to be faithful to Scripture. And praying for the sick is part of what it means to, pray, to be faithful to Scripture. We'll do so in faith, believing, and we'll trust God with the results. But I realize this may seem like if we don't think about it critically, this may seem like, like an extreme or a fringe thing, but the reality is, as a church, we are constantly trusting God with the results for so many things. We serve the poor. We work in the space of justice. We do so many things, and we don't always know if the results will be that people will come to Jesus and profess faith. 
but it doesn't stop us from doing those things. And yeah, we'll pray, and we don't always know how it will come out, but it, does, it shouldn't stop us from doing the things that Jesus instructs us to do and what the Scriptures call us to do. I can tell you on the other side of that scary timidity putting ourselves out there are amazing things that God can do. I'll never forget, I have one more point after this story, and we'll land this plane, then we'll pray. I'll never forget, a friend of mine, he called me to pray for his mother-in-law, and she was in the hospital, and they found these really scary, dark spots in her lung. And I remember walking over to the hospital, this was at Lutheran Medical Center in Sunset Park, and I remember during that time in particular, that day, that season of life, I was not in a good place, just struggling with a bunch of different things, just trying to figure out my life, my future. I didn't feel exceptionally spiritually vibrant. But how could you tell someone, can you come pray for my mother-in-law and say, I'm not having a good day, I'm sorry. So I, I pushed, said, I, I got to go, I got to show up. It's unconscionable to not. I remember coming to the hospital, and I remember us praying, and in that place of weakness and struggle, all of a sudden, this room is filled with the presence of God. It was tangible. Where I was, all of a sudden, I became like an outside observer, like, oh my gosh, God is here. And the staff kind of were reacting. They were looking at us. We could all sense it. We just prayed in the name of Jesus that her lungs would be healed, that these spots would be removed. And then I left. I didn't feel any goosebumps. Didn't feel anything physically that would tell, like nothing. Couldn't go by anything external to say, what happened, this happened, nothing. Just did what the scriptures tell us to do. Two days later, they take another x-ray, and at this point, all the spots are gone. Completely gone. And they kept, like, they were puzzled. They didn't understand. But they knew that they were there one day, and they were gone the next. Though they weren't ready to say this was Jesus' work, we knew we had seen a miracle. We simply pray. We simply trust. We don't go by our feelings. We don't go by whether we, you know, where we're at. We, we do what the scriptures tell us to do, and we trust God with the results. Because here's the deal. If, we're, if, if it's... If we're not trying to take the glory for this, then if God doesn't heal, then we're good. Yeah, it's painful, it's difficult, but if he doesn't heal somebody, we should be fine with it unless we wanted to take the glory for it. But if it was ultimately him, then we trust him with the results. Because it wasn't about us to begin with. We never made any promises to anybody that we could do anything for them. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Lastly, 
I love this image in these verses. Last two verses, James says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. How beautiful would it be if one of the defining characteristics of us as a community would be that we are constantly welcoming people back home. That we would be a community that if people wander, if people stray, if people struggle, if they get off the path, if in their troubles they go astray, or if in their joy they go astray, and, and that we could be a people that says, come back home. God has not stopped pursuing you. He has not stopped loving you. We will not stop loving you. Come back home. When faith is authentic, when it's true, when it's really rooted to Jesus, it cuts judgmentalism at the heart. We cease to judge people and we begin to open our arms. If God welcomes you back, who am I to put rules on you that says unless you meet these rules, you won't be welcomed back? Come back. The reality is you and I all have wandered and have the potential to wander. We can all stray. We can all struggle. We can all miss the mark. And the goodness of God is that no matter if that's, your, if that's where you're at right now, if you say right now, though I'm in this room, my heart has wandered. Jesus calls you back. Come back home. Right now, some of us know people that have wandered during this season. Their faith was starting to grow. They were doing, and now they've wandered. What would it look like for you and I to welcome people back? To prayerfully call them back, to love them back to Jesus and to community. Let's be a people that as we follow Jesus, we follow him in the full spectrum of our experience, in joy and in suffering And we learn to follow him in those spaces. Let's be a people that believe in the restorative power of God. That he's able to restore both the soul and the body. And that we preach the gospel with that kind of faith, trusting that Jesus can do that. And let's be a community that doesn't judge, that doesn't close the door on people that Jesus is slamming the door wide open and saying, I want you to come back home. If you've wandered, if you strayed, Jesus calls you back. Here's what I want to invite us to do as the worship team comes forward and as we stand. I want to invite us to do a few things that these verses have primed us for. As we stand to our feet, here's what I want to invite us to do. The prayer team is going to be available to my left and your right in the back.
they're already there waiting. And over these next few moments, if anyone needs prayer for anything, James says, if, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're going through some suffering, you'd like some prayer, the prayer team is there. They would love to pray with you. If you're happy, sing. If you, wanna, if you want somebody to praise God with you, the prayer team would love to praise God with you. If you're sick, whatever the sickness might be, whether it's you're having some back issues or your knee, or you have headaches that just don't go away no matter what you try, ulcer issues, the full spectrum, whatever it is, Jesus is our healer. And he is here right now. And he wants to heal. I love the fact that some folks didn't even wait. They're just getting out of their seats right now and they're going to get prayer. During these next few moments, you have permission to go and move out of your seats and go and receive prayer from the prayer team. But I want to even make it even more accessible. Some of you have come with friends and people that you feel comfortable that are right around you. Maybe you don't want to get out of your seat for whatever reason. There's no reason why the Spirit can't meet you right there. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, would you pray for me? Would you praise with me? Would you believe for this healing with me? Can we do that in these next few moments? Can I invite us? Can we raise our hands in the presence of God? Let's worship. Let's come to him in these next few moments. Jesus, if we're suffering today, would you teach us to turn to you in prayer? To not run from you? Lord, if we're joyous, may we praise you. May we come to you in praise if we're suffering in body, suffering in soul. You are a healer. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, come and do what only you can do. Let's turn our hearts to God in these next few moments.